Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. And welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews, that would be you, and me, Zara McDonald. That's you. It's me, coming up (laughs) on the show, the Shameless Hotline. Then, how a profile of Paramore's Hayley Williams sparked a massive discussion between us this week about female anger, and later, a conversation about the lipstick effect and self-care in an era of economic downturn. Mm. But first, Michelle, how was your week? Look... I'm not going to lie. It was a tricky week. I feel like this will be our answer for a while. Yeah. It it was tricky, but... It will. It's been tricky, but I'm feeling so much more positively about things now than what I was, say, earlier on in the week last week. And let me just say, before I say anything else, can I just give a massive thank you on behalf of Shameless, Shameless Media, which is literally just three people, me, Zara (laughs) and Annabelle. Please go for it. But a huge thank you to... Healthcare professionals, supermarket workers, nurses, doctors, aged care workers, teachers and educators. Like you guys are fucking amazing and you are keeping the community running right now. And we are so grateful for you guys doing such a thankless task. And so often you aren't recognised and hopefully we can just give you a little bit of a hat tip because we recognise you and we are so grateful for what you do. I am struggling. I cannot imagine what it would be like being on the front line as those people are fighting the virus that shall not be named. Apart from that, you know what? It's been okay. I think it took a little bit of adjusting. I think it took me maybe three days to get my head around a new normal for a little while that this is how things are going to be for some time for the foreseeable future. But I do really want to recommend... Nine Life Lessons from Tim Minchin. This video is awesome. Tim Minchin is a genius. If you are not familiar with his work, he is a comedian, a writer, a playwright, just an incredible human being. He is, of course, from Perth. He now lives in London. But this video of him giving his nine lessons for life is just so 
wonderful and brilliant and I really encourage everyone watches it. It was listener Ashley who reminded me about this this week because she posted in our Facebook group and she put one of Tim Minchin's quotes in here from the speech, which is, don't seek happiness. Happiness is like an orgasm. If you think about it too much, it goes away. Keep busy and aim to make someone else happy and you might find you get some as a side effect. We didn't evolve to be constantly content. And that was sort of another hook for me to be like, fuck, I need to go back and watch that. Like that quote alone brought me so much happiness in that moment. So, mm. so meta. Don't think that, about it. You'll- I know. <laughs> now I'm thinking about it too much. Fuck, I'm going to lose that happiness. <laughs> that made me want to go back. So good wreck. No, oh, thanks. I love that. <laughs> bit, of, bit of like motivation is what I need on my Monday morning. How are you? How was your week? Tell me everything. Very similar to yours. I would say similar-ish to other people out there. Not particularly fun week. But I found myself doing little things for myself that mm. kind of picked my mood up in, in tiny, tiny moments. One of those things was listening to two of my favourite episodes ever of This American Life. I said last week that when things feel strange or I feel a little displaced, all I do is dive into This American Life because it feels like such a safe place and such a haven. One of them was called The Show of Delights and they put this out in their feed in February, interestingly. Mm. And at the time they were like, the world feels hard. Here's a show about just purely delight. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, if the world was hard in February, what is it now? But that is one of the more beautiful shows I've ever heard. It is just about delight. And I know we spoke about joy last week, but I do find that joy and delight are a slightly different concept. Oh, no, we're getting stuck in definitions again. But I just loved the stories <laughs> that they used to tell the story of delight. The other one is a really old episode from 2015 called Birds and Bees. I don't know if you've listened to I this. I haven't listened to that one. We actually put out a document this this week, a document. What the fuck is a document? We put up all our favorite recommendations ever on our website. So, what do you call that? We put up a website page. Yeah, we put up a website page. Oh, that favorite. sounds boring and so I 2010. Know. We put out a list <laughs> of our best of the best recommendations, and Birds and Bees was on there as well. It was just an episode about how parents talk to their children about race and death and sex. And it is so interesting. So I couldn't recommend that more. And the other thing that I did for myself today was I bought myself clothes. Yeah. I bought myself like the brightest pair of yellow linen pants, flares, like the brightest things you could ever find. They probably blinded you when I wore them. They were from one of my oldest friend's fashion labels called Keo. And I felt like, I mean, if there's ever a time to plug small business, it is now. So if you love linen clothing and bright linen clothing at that, go check it out. I'll put the link in our show notes. I love that. I also think if you want to buy yourself like a nice lipstick or something right now, Lulu Lips is really good. That's another small female founded business from Australia. So if you can find small business, trust us, now is the time to try and support young women and young men starting their own side hustles and trying to make them into something. It's a really tricky time for businesses. So if you can get behind them in a small or a big way, whatever you can manage, it is so, so important. And I can guarantee those people will be very grateful for your support. Absolutely. Mish, what I wanted to do today is I wanted to start and we'll say who knows if this is just going to last for this week or if it's (laughs) going to last forevermore. But I wanted us to bring a good news story for each other. I don't know which one you've brought. I brought one for you. Because I'm competitive and I like turning everything in my life to a competition, I want to get the listeners to pick whose good news story is better. All right, whatever. Put so a poll my, in the group. I'm going to put a poll in the group because I'm I'm going to back this good news story as being pretty good. But also, same, like I feel like you vote <laughs> against mine. You're a bit of a bitch. <laughs> so <laughs> That's keep interesting. Bit That's, of clickbait. Yeah, I know. All right. My new story. Cow with surprising speed evades Florida police for months. 
Police in Florida are asking for the public's help tracking down a cow that has evaded capture since January due to its surprising speed and amazing fence jumping skills. The Pembroke Pines Police Department said that the cow has been spotted in the area near Sheridan Street and Interstate 75 Road multiple times over the course of the last two months. This cow was on the run for two whole months before Zara on March 18. It was finally captured near a road and it's now in its own little pen eating grass. I didn't know that cows could jump. I didn't think that they had any agility skills at all. And I know I sound like probably the most ignorant city slicker ever right now. How dare you body shame cows? What? No. They just seem like they have a big form, like a big heavy form. Is it cows that can get upstairs but not downstairs? Isn't there one farm animal? I thought that was horses. There's definitely a farm animal Fuck, where you can't take them upstairs. Combo. This is an interesting convo. If you know the answer to this, two city slickers sitting on a podcast <laughs> clearly don't know. Please come and tell us. Great news for that cow, though. Imagine being on the run for two months evading police and animal welfare experts, and now he's finally been captured. Wait, so it's good news for the cow or for police? I mean, I think it's like a like a bravery story for the cow, like a bit of social cred for him. I feel like this story sounded better in theory for you, but in reality, when you tried to sell it, it wasn't so I good. I think you were determined on not laughing so that you just seem like you're too cool for school. My, my and now I'm not going to laugh at your story, no, and I'm going to really try my fucking best mine's to just keep not, a straight mine's face. Mine's not funny. Mine's a good news story about things happening to people. New South Wales man who lost his farm to bushfires wins $200,000 lotto jackpot. I've lost, haven't I? You've lost. Fuck. Isn't this a good story? A New South Can Wales you tell me, wait, what happened? So a New South Wales man, in Verrill Man, lost almost everything to bushfires, but scored a life-changing lotto win to the tune of 200K. He said since his farm has burnt down, his stress levels were through the roof and he didn't know how he was going to rebuild. We had a massive fire rip through the farm. He said, destroying it. I lost almost everything. There's barely anything left. I've been so stressed, worrying about what I can actually do. This will help me get back on my feet. That's wonderful. It's lovely. Every time my mum stresses about finances, she's like, don't worry, one day I'll win the lotto. I'm like, you don't even enter the lotto. How are you ever going to win? I think the lotto is a great, I mean, I'm not going to say great, but it's a pipe dream for everyone who just wants to get out of the life they're in. It's like, that could be me. Like, that could be me. A competition of happenstance. I mean, we're not endorsing gambling, by the way. And please, no lotto competitions. Don't come to (laughs) us to be sponsored on the podcast. You're not going to get a gig. But, like, good on that man for winning 200K. I'm not even going to put this in the Facebook group. You've already won. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now to the Shameless Hotline. What we asked you guys in our Facebook group and on Instagram this week was come and chat to us. Call us. Tell us your thoughts on the episode. Tell us what's bringing you joy this week. We want to bring you more into the podcast, especially at a time like this, to foster a greater sense of community, I guess, Mish. Absolutely. So tell me, who have we got first? We are starting with listener Eleanor. Hi, Mickey Barra. It's Eleanor. Um, I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about what I've been doing to find joy with everything that's going on in the moment. So I have currently recently moved into a very small apartment on the 18th floor of um, Canberra. And so how I've been finding joy is I've made my own little veggie slash herb garden on my balcony to give myself just a little bit of greenery, something to do um, and to be a little bit more sustainable with what I'm eating. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Bloody quaint, beautiful, wholesome content. I need to get a herb garden. I've now got a little outdoor space since I moved apartments. I have loved getting plants. Maybe I need to start my own herb garden. What yeah, are your thoughts? I definitely need to start my own herb garden. I do feel like I'm a little behind the eight ball because a herb garden would be great right now when the supermarket shelves are a little bare. Oh my but God. But never too late to start. Never too late to start. Can I grow garlic in a herb garden? 
How do you grow garlic? Oh, no. Oh, no. We're well, going to come Not across again. like the biggest city Not slickers again. ever. You can grow rosemary, basil, parsley. I'm going to tell you Name the things all the I herbs. know you can grow. Don't right. ask me about the others. Eleanor, that's beautiful and quaint. Who do we have next, Zara? We have Hannah. Hi, Miss and Zara. My name's Hannah, and um, currently what's giving me so much joy is sitting in my dining room. It's four enormous boxes worth of food donations uh, from my friends and family to donate to the Centre for Asylum Seekers and Refugees here in Perth. Um, they're doing it super, super tough at the moment, not having um, any government financial support. So, yeah, I'm just, like, so joyful seeing people still giving, despite, like, all the temptations that we have to stockpile and all the uncertainty. So, yeah, thank you. That one made me really happy. Heartwarming. Very. I like the stories. I know, I know that there's a lot of stories going around now about people who aren't doing very nice things when it comes to panic buying in the supermarkets, but it's also nice to hear these stories too about people who genuinely want to do good. I really do feel like some of the best parts of humanity can shine through in times like this. And I know that we also see the worst, but we definitely see the best from some people. And that is absolutely gorgeous that so many people are pulling out of their own pantries and pockets to help those more in need. Next up, Zara, we have Alex. Hi, Miss and Zara. My name's Alex, and I just wanted to ring to say thank you for all the positive messages you've sent out for your podcast in the last week. I just wanted to add that going back to what I love and baking and doing my running has really um, kept me quite calm and positive at this very chaotic and unsettling time, and I just wanted to say thank you for instilling positive messages and letting us all know that, yeah, it's going to be okay. So thank you. Big yes. Fucking love baking. Need to do more of it right now. I don't really do any. Oh, actually, I bake the old brownie and cookies. You are so good at cookies. Oh, stop. Don't undersell oh, I'm yourself. S- I'm so not. You are great <laughs> nah, at making cookies. I actually like a good cookie. I actually haven't baked either. I tend to get a bit stressed in the kitchen. Running, though, also terrible at it, but do find myself easing a lot of stress and angst when I go for a run. Yeah, I've felt so much better doing little workouts at home as well. Just yeah, like totally. Just buying a pair of hand weights. I know they can be a little bit expensive. Expensive, but they're not as expensive as a gym membership. Go totally. to Rebel Sport, buy yourself a pair of hand weights, do some exercise or like Alex, go for a run. That is really great. Thank you for all the listeners who called in. I'm sorry we can't feature you all, but we do plan on featuring more of you in upcoming episodes. So if you want to be a listener featured on an episode of Shameless, do call the Shameless hotline, be it with your thoughts on the episode that we're doing here today, the thoughts now Thursday in conversation episode, or tell us what's making you really bloody happy right now and how your week is going and how you're getting through. The number for the Shameless hotline is 0482472301. I'll put that in the show notes also. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you guys a rough and tumble on the celebrity news cycle. Zara, you have curated the top five celebrity news stories for us and I can't wait to hear what you've got. Number one, Michelle, it wouldn't be a week in celebrity without something like this. Kim Kardashian found a lobster walking down her street and Twitter can't handle it. That is from Elle. Now, what? no, God, we're going to do it for a third time in the first like 20 minutes of this episode. Was it actually a lobster? Because I heard some people say it wasn't a lobster, it was another kind of animal. 
normal and Kim K clearly didn't know. In fairness, that looks like a lobster to me, but I don't really know the difference between many of the different types of crayfish. So no. I can't I can't pretend to be any kind of animal expert today or herb <laughs> any expert day. <laughs> or any expert on anything really, but onwards. I love it. So what happened was Kim Kardashian posted on her Twitter account to her 64 million followers. I would not have predicted any Twitter account was that big. Yeah, well, Kim Kang. I don't mean to be anti-Twitter, by the way, either. We gave them a bit of shit over fleets and now I'm giving them shit over their audience size. Just because you have about three followers on Twitter. I don't have any followers. So Kim Kardashian wrote, just confused how a lobster is walking on my street in Calabasas. What is happening? This got 403,000 likes. My favourite part of the stories are... I think I know what you're about to say because I've just lost my shit when I read it. (laughs) Is someone decided to make a Twitter account for the lobster? And he's now <laughs> tweeting from it. It's called Calabasas Lobster. <laughs> His first tweet. <laughs> or she. What the f- <laughs> WTF? I think I just passed Kim K's house. <laughs> the next one, a thousand likes and I'll bite Kanye. And for the record, the 1,000 likes and I'll bite Kanye tweet got 6.2 thousand likes. So can't wait for that. The lobster has over 4,000 followers. At the time of recording, good on you, Calabasas Lobster. Good on you, Kim Kardashian. I would love to know what the fuck happened here, but I don't even need to. Great story. One of the retweets was quite funny. 2020 can be summed up by the fact the world is ending and Kim K is tweeting about a random lobster in her screen. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God. Story. That laugh surprised me. <laughs> story number two. Looks like the next royal wedding is off. That is from the cut. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still what? laughing. What? You're just talking about a wedding folder. While you were reading, I kept um reading the lobster thing and people are like tell him I say hello (laughs) and I don't know why this is so funny sorry we're now talking about the royal wedding that was called off this is from the cut you care I don't really care that much I do care because I seem to always um tune into royal weddings no matter who is getting married so as we know or you know what no judgment as we may not know it's all very inclusive here princess Beatrice can you not (laughs) sorry I keep thinking about the lobster it's so why was it on the road Sorry. Oh, Calabasas loves to reply to her tweet saying, I have just as much right to be here as you, Kim. I really... Oh, someone's saying it's a crawfish. I can't (laughs) believe we've never had more trouble getting off a fucking story. Okay, sorry. That is the fucking funniest thing ever. Okay, sorry. The royal wedding. It's... um, Beatrice or Eugenie? It's Beatrice. Eugenie's already <laughs> married. So on Wednesday, Princess Beatrice announced that her and her fiancé had cancelled their Buckingham Palace reception. It was scheduled for May 29. So as we know, like weddings at the moment are very sadly being cancelled left, right and centre, but there is kind of no other option. Mm. So there will be no royal wedding this year. I don't know, I think. I can't imagine it happening this year. It takes no. so much work to get off the ground. And a lot so, of security as well. That's exactly right. There's so much that goes into it. And it's such a big sort of community building thing Mm. where people are out on the streets. So I can't imagine them wanting to do that until they know it's absolutely safe and clear. Absolutely. God, we're going to have an influx of weddings. I I mean, it sucks and it's so sad, but imagine the wedding joy when we can all resume life as normal. It'll be beautiful and love will be in the air. Story number three. (laughs) 
sorry, sorry, <laughs> so I'm just celebrity singing Imagine Amid Virus That Shall Not Be Named Panic brings on huge eye roll. That is from the LA Times. I obviously subbed out the virus's name to put in the I need to follow the shameless podcast rule, which is that it is the yeah. virus that shall not be named. So sorry if that made it difficult to understand the headline. Basically, celebrities, I think this was organized by Gal Gadot. Yeah, I think it was organized by Gal. And she got in touch with a heap of her celebrity friends and asked them to see the song imagine give us a line um imagine all the people not bad oh, wow not bad zara mcdonald do do <laughs> maybe we should use that we should get rid of thank you next bitch and now we'll just use you singing <laughs> yes annabelle no. if you're listening that's what we're now using to transition between segments the only issue is people thought okay if you're gonna get a whole group of very famous people to spread a message does it have to be imagined by john lennon secondly there are lines in that song like imagine when there's no possessions and stuff like that which feels like grossly insensitive at a time when people are desperately stressed it's just I giggled when I saw it because I thought this has got to be not the best use of their like reach and resources surely look I'm gonna give a rundown of the celebrities that were included because Zara forgot to sorry (laughs) I'm actually still focused on Calabasas lobster but stop don't if we take my mind back there I won't be able to get off it for the next hour (laughs) I wonder what he's doing right now (laughs) It's the title of the show. <laughs> Can we actually? Yeah, it's the title of the show. <laughs> okay, sorry. The celebrities included in this were Kristen Wiig, Jamie Doran, Sarah Silverman, Jimmy Fallon, Sia, Amy Adams. I'm like on the precipice of bursting out again. Mark Ruffalo, Nora Jones, Maya Rudolph. There are a few others. Who are Kaya Gerber, Cara Delevingne. They were all singing the same song. And I feel a bit awkward because some of my friends shared this and said, this is beautiful and quaint and amazing. Disagree. Very cringeworthy. Pretty difficult to watch. Will Ferrell was quite awkward. I felt, I kind of, call me an idiot, but the people that I did not feel for, but I felt a bit of, mm, mm. Uh, for were the celebrities who probably were just asked to do this by a friend to sing this didn't really know how it was going to be compiled didn't know how it was going to be sold and then they see all this kind of like joking ridicule and probably feel like a bit silly now that said perhaps perhaps they should leverage off this the fact that everybody is focusing on this group of people and now they should make another video like parroting themselves yes parroting themselves but actually sharing a really important message like wash your hands or do whatever the thing is there is nothing more uncomfortable than watching someone try to sing who can't sing and they clearly don't know they can't sing kind of like what you did no you actually congratulated me so anyway story number four taylor swift fans called kanye west a liar after video of 2016 call emerges that is from the new york post and look michelle given the delicate delicate details around this would you care to explain why so many people care about this and why the headlines will not stop with this story Okay, first of all, what a delicious celebrity news story. Second of all, I'm going to try my very, very best to explain this. I am, of course, shameless podcast chief correspondent of explaining. So here we go. Bear with me. I'm going to try my best to get this all down. I am handballing all of this to you. Now, we know that Taylor Swift and Kanye West have had a long-running feud. It dates back to 2009. It was reignited in 2016 when Kanye West released his single, Famous. Now, in Famous, he had two lines about Taylor Swift that were very controversial. The first was, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. The second line was, I made that bitch famous. Now, after Famous, the single was released, Taylor Swift came out, said she was deeply uncomfortable with the sentiment of what Kanye West shared. She was very uncomfortable with being called a bitch and had no idea that he was going to claim that he made her famous. Now, Taylor Swift was 
promptly depicted as a liar and a manipulator because Kim Kardashian, Kanye West's wife, of course, and famous woman in her own right, came out and shared about a 20-second clip of Kanye West talking to Taylor Swift on the phone. They very intentionally filmed this phone conversation where it appeared that Kanye West received approval from Taylor to say that they might still have sex or that she owed him sex. Now, what has happened in the years since is that Taylor Swift was so heavily bullied and harassed that she chose to take a full year out of the public eye. She went on hiatus from her career, basically. She has documented that mental health struggle and that mental health battle in her recent documentary, Miss Americana. And she's been very public about how deeply that affected her. Hashtag Taylor Swift is over party trended worldwide was the top trend on Twitter. She was basically torn to pieces. Her entire reputation was damaged. It also spurned, of course, her then follow-up album to this controversy, which was called Reputation. So what happened this week is that on the weekend, the full video clip of Kanye West's phone call with Taylor Swift, where he talks to her about the single Famous and where he seeks her permission has been leaked. It is 25 minutes long and what it does is paint that exchange in such a different light. So instead of Taylor Swift appearing to just approve the we might still have sex lyric in full, it shows Kanye to be quite a manipulator, to be brutally honest. He seems to be twisted stories. He seems to totally evade the I made that bitch famous lyric, which is the lyric that Taylor Swift has always had a problem with, has always maintained that she had absolutely no idea about. And this full 25 minute video definitely seems to paint Kanye as a bit of a manipulator and Taylor Swift as totally and completely innocent. And to be honest, blindsided by the entire exchange. You can hear her laugh very awkwardly. You can also hear her say that she needs some time to actually go away and figure out how she feels because she needs to have some time to think. And now it appears someone from his team has leaked the video. And what I want to know, Zara, is who the fuck leaked this? Not many people would have access to this footage. It would be under lock and key, you would imagine. Who in Kanye West's camp wanted this out and why now? I think it is such an interesting question. It's someone from the Kardashian family or it's someone who Kanye West has worked with who is clearly very pissed off and wants this in the public domain. My money would be on an aggrieved co-worker who wants to get back at Kanye. The question is why? What do you think? What's your conspiracy theory? Okay, firstly, I'm exhausted, but wonderful, wonderful explaining. I actually have to say my money is on a Kardashian at this point. And I know I sound like a Kardashian conspiracy theorist when I say that, but it feels like it's been a while since the Kardashian name has popped up in our feeds in a spectacularly dramatic fashion. So I would not be surprised if this is an internal thing, not necessarily with Kanye's approval at all, but perhaps just to play on the notoriety of the family if they're filming for more seasons and there's no storylines. Whoever it was, though, I I tell you, it's looking good for Taylor at the moment with this coming so quickly after the Miss Americana documentary. And my fifth and final story. Married at first sights, Martha, Jess and Innes are slamming each other on Instagram again. That is from who? I needed to shuffle in my seat because it's my time to shine. Yes, you need to tell me about this story. I forced you to put this in today's Quick and Dirty because it's the trashiest, most glorious celebrity story I could find. Are you familiar with Married at First Sight's 2019 cast at all? Yes. So I know all of these people because I've seen them 
like in my newsfeed heaps. I didn't know they were all on the same cast, but I've seen their faces. I probably would recognize them if I walked down the street. Oh, wow. I know. No, I'm not an idiot. You just read the Daily Mail too much. <laughs> Way too much. <laughs> so Martha, Jess and Innes, they were all friends on the show. Do you remember when Martha threw a glass of red wine over another contestant's totally. white dress? Right. Who was that? I can't remember who. Uh, I think she might have thrown what? it over Cyrell. Good, good explaining. Yeah, or maybe um, there was like it was kind of like there were three women against another three women. They were right. kind of like in their own little posses. Anyway, Martha, Jess, and Innes, best of best friends. They leave the show, and for some reason, the friendship splinters. In that Jess and Innes remain close, Martha not so close. They proceed to kind of trash talk each other in the media or via social media for the next few months until Zara. It all came to a head in the middle of last week. When Martha was on an Instagram TV or like a live Instagram chat with her boyfriend, Michael, from the show, and she basically said that she would never want to see Jess or Innes again, that being friends with them or having a conversation with them, I think she likened it to Root Canal. Oh, wow. Yeah, not the best. To which Jess and Innes responded by going on their own pages and slamming Martha and claiming that when the show was filming and shortly after the show aired, Martha cheated on on her partner and since then Martha and her partner Michael have basically gone to ground and have been very quiet everything like has now gone quite weird in that Innes has said she's taking herself off social media it's icky and it's strange this escalated so quickly it escalated really quickly all of the news publications covered it and then since then it's been this like eerie silence while everyone just kind of like sits in the dust of that fucking crazy storm whiplash yeah martha hasn't really said anything about it since but let me tell you if you're a married at first sight fan or if you just love your trashy celebrity gossip stories i'm right there with you you're not dumb i don't know why i'm so obsessed with this i wish i was above it but i'm not i'm pretty into it when people trash each other publicly it's so foreign to me (laughs) Are you? No, in a weird way. It's because it's so foreign to me because you don't see it very often. So when it mm. happens, you kind of sit up and you're like, oh my God, what's happening? Like this must have come to such a head that now it's public and you can't help but sit up and take notice. It's such a terrible trait. I feel like it's everyone, trash. I feel like everyone was very much shell-shocked as well. Like everyone was kind of like, what the fuck just happened? I think Martha and Michael are still together from what I can tell. I think they're fine. Everyone's just gone very underground for a just, few days. Just a bit of shh time. <laughs> hey, that is all I've got for you for the quick and dirty today. Thank you so much. Calabasas Lobster. Coming up after the break, the lipstick effect and some thoughts on harnessing your anger. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Last week, The Guardian published a profile on Paramore's frontwoman, Hayley Williams. The piece looked at a range of themes, from childhood trauma to building a brand in the noughties to going through a divorce after being in a relationship with someone for more than a decade. But what writer Laura Snape's focused most intently on is that at 31, Hayley Williams is just starting to learn to sit in her anger. In fact, Hayley has spent so long suppressing that anger, it has manifested into depression. Zara, before we get into why this was such a fascinating profile for us to read, together and then talk about can you give us some of the quotes that Haley actually gave on the concept of anger? Yeah, I think the one that I sent to you straight away when I read this was this one. She said, one of my biggest healing moments was realising that a lot of my depression was misplaced anger. I really forced it inward on myself and it made me feel shame all the time. And then Laura Snapes wrote later, anger, she later discovered, could be an energy, a recognition of self-worth. And I understand when we throw these quotes around without actually holding them to anything tangible or related to us, it can sound a little hard 
hard to grasp, mm. like how these things all related. But for us, I think we've been having conversations about anger a lot lately because we have very different relationships with anger. In that sometimes I get very angry very quickly and then it dies down. Look, I, I think my relationship with all emotions are, I wonder what you'll think about this. <laughs> my relationship with emotion is that there are not many protective layers between me and feeling it. And that means that if an emotion comes up, I will feel it and express it fully, but then it evaporates so quickly. Yeah. Like I can be very angry in a moment when something happens at work or in my personal life, or whatever, express that anger. And within 10 minutes, I am totally fine, totally over it. Don't think about it again. But any emotion that I feel, it's very, it's very easy to unearth it. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good exercise in self-awareness. Well done. Can you tell I've been going to a psychologist for three and a half years? <laughs> well, I think the thing about Hayley Williams's quotes, which are really interesting to me, is this idea that not a lot of women are like you. Like a lot of women suppress their anger because I think we're taught that if we express that anger, we might be rude or unlikable or even unhinged kind mm. of. And it's only very recently, perhaps in 2018, when Rebecca Traister wrote her book, Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger, and then Rage Becomes Her by Soraya Shmali. I haven't read either of them yet, but I've listened to a bunch of interviews and even a couple of TED Talks that Soraya have done, which have just been brilliant on anger, that I've really started to think that women's anger is maybe having a moment because we're starting to understand how much of it has been suppressed for so long. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think that anger and femininity feel like they're polar opposites of each other, that they are in opposition to one another. And if you want to be feminine and soft and likable, you can't get angry. Yeah. And so I always thought that I had a pretty fine relationship with anger and maybe because I did when I was younger that I thought that I still did when I was older. What do you mean? What? Did, how did you express it when you were younger? Well, I think if you ask my family, they would have said that growing up, I was able to get angry at things pretty easy. Like I was able to snap at my family yeah. and not in... Not, not <laughs> saying this is a great thing but I was able to get fired up about stuff and express that like you were fiery I was fiery yeah, yeah I was really fiery and it's only been in the last couple of weeks that I've realized I lost that skill completely mm. like I haven't been really angry about anything in a really long time and I thought this was a really good thing like I thought that me not being angry meant that I was being really rational about things I nailing thought, life I thought it meant I was really level-headed <laughs> I thought it meant that I was really in control of my emotions. Meanwhile, hothead Michelle in yeah, the office. Yeah, I was office. like, that mess over there, I'll sort her out. <laughs> and then what happened is, this is kind of a long story, but I'll try to shorten it. Then what happened is the end of last year, I thought I was really burnt out. Like mm. I thought I was completely burnt out. I was getting these really strange cramps and these really strange bouts of nausea that I thought was food poisoning. And I started to write about it a little bit, but sort of like didn't touch it publicly while I was trying to work out what was actually going on. Cause mm. I thought I was really ill. Like I kept having to call in sick to you at the last minute being like, I can't move from my bed. I'm vomiting. Yeah. The Jules Von Hep interview was one of those days. I yeah. did it solo cause you were sick. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't know what was going on. I thought, is it endo? Is it something else? And I thought it was burnout, but it just didn't stop even after a holiday. And so I thought about going back to doctors and I ended up seeing a psychologist who said straight away to me, the first thing was you're experiencing extreme bouts of anxiety. Mm. And also how often do you feel angry? And every time I started to talk to her, whether it be about our work or our personal or our personal life, because we're married. <laughs> we basically are. We have a shared bank account. I, I feel like that. When I started to talk to her about that, she said to me, I noticed that you don't feel angry about anything that ever happens. What you do is you push it down and then you just start hating yourself instead. Mm. So if we ever got a bit of feedback that I didn't like, instead of getting angry about it, which you might have done, being like, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> I would turn that around on myself and be like, I'm the shittest person ever. Yeah. And so slowly and slowly, it would just like chip away at my self-confidence. And I think that's what not feeling angry 
anger does. Like it shrinks you to the point where you just turn inwards, which is what Hayley Williams has said. And she just started to feel shame all the time. I wonder where this comes from, right? I was trying to do a bit of research and I found some really interesting tidbits. There was a really fascinating piece in Time, I'll pop it in the show notes, about how female anger is presented so differently in the mainstream when it comes to pop culture and television and movies. One great quote was, righteous anger is one of Hollywood's favourite devices for delineating an inspirational figure. Atticus Finch has it in To Kill a Mockingbird. Peter Finch's newscaster has it in Network. Mr. Davis has it in 12 Angry Men. And Liam Neeson has it in just about everything. Angry oh women. God, Liam Neeson, of course. Yeah. He's always angry. Yeah. Angry women, not so inspirational. I was thinking about how female anger has been presented in television and as I said in an episode not too long ago I've been watching a lot of friends I've been watching basically every episode of friends that has ever been created it's been a wonderful time Mitch hates me so much for it Mm -hmm. but one thing that I noticed is that Monica is the angriest character in friends Monica has the best relationship with anger and that she expresses it in the moment she's very fiery she gets worked up she says what's on her mind and I found it really interesting that Monica is also the least likable friends character character as voted by the public. Respondents to a public survey that found that Monica was the least likable gave the explanation that she was controlling. And the second word I find really interesting is prickly. And I'm not saying that the only reason people don't like Monica and friends is because she's angry. Of course, there are other things like she's obsessed with cleaning. She's a bit of a neat freak. Those things are generally not the most likable or most relaxed in a sitcom character. But the fact that people pointed to her prickliness and the fact that she was so emotional is very interesting to me. And I wonder if Monica's anger in Friends really does tie into public disdain for her because we never see women get angry on television. And Monica was consistently angry in that series as someone who's watched it all in the space of a week. (laughs) Which is shorthand for I'm the expert on Friends, listen to what I fucking say. (laughs) I do agree with you. I think there would be elements of the dislike for Monica that comes back to anger. I also wanted to note very quickly here that we can talk about women's anger in general as one big umbrella but it's not perceived there's the same thing for for white women and for black women too I mean there's mm. this absolutely that trope of the angry black women and they do not get away with it in the same way a white woman does but if we're talking about it in a general sense in the fact that a lot of women are taught from the youngest of ages that if they want to be liked and if they want to fit in they need to squash their anger and not actually feel it and express it absolutely and if you want more evidence there are so many studies that portray how differently we perceive male and female anger but a really famous one is out of the Harvard Business School where they got students to sit down and read a business case study about two different CEOs. One was a man, it was a Silicon Valley uh, CEO, it was actually a real executive. One was under a male name talking about his anger, the other was under a female name and overall in huge proportions people said they would happily work for the angry man. They thought that that was indicative of him having good control over the business, him being decisive, him knowing what he wants. They would not not work for the female CEO with anger problems because she was unhinged. Yeah, it's that idea of being unhinged. And I think I definitely internalized a lot of this. Like I think I always was in the pursuit of peacekeeping, of making Mm. sure that everything was fine. And I think if I was in the pursuit of keeping the peace, what it actually did was squashed my self-esteem because when we might have been faced with comments that we didn't like, because that's what's happened when you start putting your opinions out Mm. into the world, that I tried to keep the peace between myself and like almost anger or even myself and you to be like, well, maybe, maybe there is an element of truth to this. Maybe, maybe there is something we should listen to. And in turn, I ended up taking on all of it and it manifested in very extreme bouts of anxiety. I listened to a TED talk with Soraya Shamali who wrote Rage Becomes Her. And there was this very interesting 
amazing quote that she finished on. And she said, we self-objectify and lose the ability to even recognize the physiological changes that indicate anger, mainly though we get sick. Anger has now been implicated in a whole array of illnesses that are casually dismissed as women's illnesses. Higher rates of chronic pain, autoimmune disorders, disordered eating, mental distress, anxiety, self-harm, depression. Anger affects our immune systems, our cardiovascular systems. And I think this said a lot to me. I think Mm -hmm. that one of Hayley Williams' quotes going back to that profile was about this idea that being angry was actually a recognition of self-worth. Like I didn't deserve that, therefore I am angry. And I think that this is something that a lot of women don't think about or talk about. Anger is also about how seriously we take ourselves and how highly we think of ourselves. And in order to be angry about something, you have to have a whole lot of self-confidence in order to do that. I am interested. How are you feeling now? Because you've been seeing this person for a little bit and you've been working through this and you've been bringing it into the office even and going, I don't feel anger. I need to like let myself feel what I want to feel. It's it's interesting because you get all this advice and then you're like, okay, you need to feel anger. And I'm like, okay, well, like, where do I find it? (laughs) Like, I'm trying to like grab it from somewhere and I'm like, I'll feel something and be like, is that it? Do I hold on to it? And also, what does that mean? Have a go at me if you like. I mean, like, I don't know what any of this means. Like, you can talk about it in a theoretical sense and I'm trying to like get a handle on it, but I don't, I still don't really know what it looks like and I still don't really know how to do it. I mean, I can- Well, maybe it's as simple as like, as soon as, I mean, I'm not going to try and pathologize <laughs> you on this podcast, but I wonder if it, like, if it's as simple as women listening to this, if you're struggling to feel your anger as recognizing when your first gut response is to go, don't feel or don't show yeah. instead, just show how exactly how I'm feeling right now. Like don't have that first response of squash and shame I think it's shame yeah. I think it's what Hayley Williams said as well it's like shame like fuck someone's done something to piss me off and now somehow that's an indication of how I am as a person and also like I need to swallow it instead of spitting it back out at them sorry spitting is so gross don't no, do but that it's true but it's- like it, almost having like a blockade and being like no I'm just going to rebound this back at you instead of wanting to absorb everyone else's negativity it's kind of that idea of just like lying down and taking everything until it all stops wow yeah it's crazy isn't it and I'd be so interested to hear how you other young women listening to this have sort of processed their anger too because I do not think that I'm the anomaly right now I think we've been taught mm. this from the youngest age to absorb the anger and not actually express it well I think young boys definitely are told that they can be angry and they yeah. can let that out even physically whereas young girls are taught to be meek and mild and polite When everything feels a little scary and overwhelming, how do you present yourself to the world? According to the lipstick effect, you know, that idea that lipstick sales spike during a time of economic downturn, many women do find themselves putting on makeup for no reason at all and dressing up just to work from home to maintain some kind of normalcy. Mish and I have felt the same, finding ourselves gravitating towards clothing and beauty in a way we haven't for some time. So we wanted to talk about that. What is it about the routine of getting up and getting dressed that helps us stay so sane? Michelle, give me the answers well it's not even it's not even just getting dressed I'm pretty sure that I would feel sane right now if I rolled around in my pajamas rolled around why Ooh. am I rolling around at work yuck everyone chill out she's working from home oh, yuck. yuck stop <laughs> not that but Mitch's mum listens to this podcast and his sister sometimes. Not that. I'm very professional. Like, yeah. what I was trying yeah. to say before you interrupted me with your gross mind, you weird fiend, was that <laughs> I could be wearing pyjamas all day long and have a full face of makeup and done hair and jewellery and feel great. What I want to say is that I have never worn makeup 
consecutively in the same way that I have over this last like 10 day spiral of fuckery. I am wearing so much makeup even when I just work from home and I don't see anyone. I'm applying jewelry. I'm wearing like a ring and a necklace and earrings today and that's not normal for me. Normal for me is active wear, clean face, maybe a bit of concealer and no jewelry. Yeah, I don't usually see you wear makeup between Monday and Friday unless we have an event on. Like you really don't turn up to work with makeup. And I remember I'm basically a slob. No, no, it's it's great. You don't look like a slob at all. But I, I did find it interesting when I turned up to your house because we are working from home at the moment and you opened the door with makeup on and I was like, oh, God, we've got some issues going on here. Well, you were wearing eyeliner. This is the thing. Like you never wear eyeliner. I never wear foundation never. unless I absolutely have to when someone's holding a gun to my head. I have been wearing full on makeup. I even fake tanned for no particular reason on a weeknight this week. And I never do that. I only have a fake tan for events. I was just sitting in my shower being like, you know what? I'm sad. And the only way to pull me out of this weird depressive spiral is to fake tan, wash my hair, blow dry it and get my shit together and feel like I look good. And if I look good on the outside or if I look better than what I average, like I'm not going to say I look great. If I look better (laughs) than what I do on average, then I'm going to feel better for it on the inside. And you said the same because you've been wearing eyeliner every day of the week. Yeah. And I never wear eyeliner. I don't even like eyeliner that much. But it looks great on you. Mixing up my beauty routine. And I wanted to touch back on the lipstick effect very, very quickly here because that is the thing that I opened with. If you've never heard of the lipstick effect, this I grabbed from the Economist. And it's the idea behind the lipstick index, which was a term coined by Leonard Lauder, the chairman of Estee Lauder, a cosmetics firm, of course, in the 2001 recession. And at that time, lipstick sales in America increased by 11%. Believers in this theory trace the phenomenon back to the depression when cosmetic sales increased by 25%, despite the fact the economy had basically collapsed. I think the thing about the lipstick effect is their historical sales figures are pretty hard to find. So some people are like, was this as strong as people are saying? But regardless, I think the stats are showing that even in economic downturn, people are still turning to cosmetics and lipsticks to purchase when there's not much money going around. And we do have some recent statistics to back this up. In the wake of Brexit, in the UK, sales of lipstick rose 31% over the following three months. So I think that's really interesting. It's not even just economic downturn. It's also like social unease, feeling like things are a bit topsy-turvy. And in those times, people tend to go out and buy lipstick. Well, yeah. And I think it speaks to stress a little bit. And it's a strange conversation to have because I think the idea of look good, feel better can seem so silly and so frivolous and so superficial and so superficial to the point where it almost can sound anti-feminist until you understand that for many, this kind of stuff is a huge source of comfort. It's what we know. It's about, I think, control and creativity. Like for me, it's those two things, control and creativity. We can't dismantle a system that told us we looked better with $300 worth of products on our face at the moment. Like we can't possibly dismantle that entire system. So uh, is it a crime to lean into it? I don't really think so. Like it's a privilege to be able to have a conversation about being able to dismantle the entire patriarchal system. Mm. But I do think in a time where people are just trying to survive and they want to lean into that and actually put more stuff on their face because it is about control and it is about survival. It says so much about routine, right? Yeah. Look, if my gender studies lecturer heard me say this, I'm sure she'd be rolling her eyes. And I'm sure that many rad femme people will disagree with me on this. I don't think this is necessarily tied to gender so much at all anymore. And so many men that I know fake tan, so many men I know use makeup and love makeup. Some of the biggest 
beauty influences in the world are men. I think it is so much less to do with what sex you were born into now than just how you want to express yourself. And when people say, oh, well, beauty is for how other people see you, I acknowledge that. And I'm not going to say that it's entirely removed from how other people see me. But it's weird, right, that I'm in my apartment and I'm seeing less people now more than ever. I have seen so much less people than what you and I typically do. In our work, we meet people all day, every day, and I never wear makeup really ever unless I absolutely have to. What does it say that I'm by myself now and I'm putting more makeup on? That's not for other people. That's for me. I mean, I think if you were going to play devil's advocate here, someone would say, yes, it's for you because the world told you you looked prettier that way. But that's a kind of by the by because it's like, how, well, is it? does it matter now that that's how you were taught to use it? Or does it matter now that you're taking control back and you're just saying, this is what I want to do and I'm saying that I'm doing it for me? Yeah, but also like that's kind of objective that, yeah, like maybe that – kind of glow and these colours do make people look more beautiful, but that's for men and for women. And that's why men are leaning into makeup as well, that there is an objectivity about this as well. It's not all about gender. I do think that while the beauty industry has been democratised a little bit, and I do think that gender and sex means far less now than it ever did, I do think that that's the minority. Like I think the average guy is not putting on makeup to go to work yet. I did have a conversation about this with my boyfriend because I don't think the psychology behind what we're doing is gendered. That's what I don't think. When I told him what we had been doing, that I had been putting eyeliner on and you had been putting makeup everything on, on, everything on, <laughs> he said, yeah, I kind of get that. I guess if I was sitting at home and I was feeling flat, I'm so much more inclined to put on a pair of jeans and maybe a t-shirt that I like and sit there and do my work rather than just sit inside and wear a tracksuit. Like we just have more to play with. They probably have like jeans and a nice shirt. We have like all of this beauty stuff that we're allowed to play with too. But I do think it's not just about beauty for me. Like for me, fashion is a huge part of it. A huge part of my days are being excited about choosing what to wear, whether it be that night or the next morning. And that feels so pronounced in periods where you're looking for a distraction. Mm. The other thing that I found very interesting when I was reading up about this is that last year, the New Daily did a story about the fact that millennials were eating out so much. And they spoke to Dr. Louise Grimmer about this. And she said, at the moment in Australia, we have a prolonged stagnant wage growth, economic uncertainty, as well as an upcoming election. So all these factors make it ripe for the lipstick effect to take place. We might not be able to afford to go to Queensland on holiday this year, but we still want to do some things that make us feel good. So we'll spend our money on eating out instead. That Mm -hmm. idea, it's not just, it's not just beauty and it's not just clothes, but it's the things that we feel like make us feel better about our lives. It's like accessible luxury. Yeah, right? it's, it's not luxury like Kim K and her Calabasas lobster. Sorry. <laughs> it's not that, but it mm. is just a little taste test that breaks up the day that maybe you have a shit bed that you go to sleep in and maybe your apartment isn't the best, but at least you can go out and buy a $30 lipstick that's going to make you feel wonderful when you put it on. I've been reading Brie Lee's small book. It's a long form essay on the concept of beauty. It's called Beauty right now. And I really implore everyone listening to go and buy it. It is so intelligent and so insightful. And I'm not going to try and give a synopsis of everything that Brie Lee shared in that book. But I do want to share this quote because I think the way she talks about how beauty has evolved in her own life and how her relationship with beauty has changed over time is so apt and so wonderful. So Brie wrote, for me now, beauty will be a hobby, like playing the clarinet or my occasional forays into painting. Enjoyable precisely because I have no intention of trying to perfect the pursuit. Full of colour and self-expression, ever-changing, fun because it is without pressure. Now, I wonder, is beauty like, and is our reliance on beauty and our leaning into it in this time of 
weirdness, kind of how we're channeling the idea of play. Like I look forward to putting makeup on every morning. I love the shiny products. I love the colors. I love the packaging. I love everything about it. I love the soft brushes, the different tools I use, the before and after effect. And I wonder, is this me channeling that play that I used to have as a kid that that has become beauty and that has become my makeup routine for me now that it's familiar, but it's also fun. I do think it's that overlap between routine and creativity. I think it's that idea that you can do the same thing every day and it feels safe and comfortable, but within that you can also have fun and you can kind of color within the lines if you like, or you can color completely outside them if that's what you want to do too. I think about my mum a lot in this context, I think, because when we talk about how much looking good can make you feel better. I remember when I was about 19 and she was going through a very, a pretty lengthy battle with cancer. She is like the least vain person I know. Like she doesn't, she doesn't know shit about beauty. She doesn't know shit about makeup. She's never really been completely invested in clothes. And I remember when she lost her hair to chemo, she said that was the most confronting thing about the entire experience. Like that was the hardest thing to grapple with. And she had very short blonde hair. Like it was nothing particularly long or tied to her identity and she hated it. And what ended up happening was we had to sort of overlap our schedules all the time because I'd found this way to do headscarves that she really liked. And she thought at the time, well, if I can't have the identity that I like, this new identity still kind of represents something that I want to put out to the world. And it spoke so much to me at the time because I was kind of surprised by how much she was rattled by it. Mm. And it reminded me about no matter how much we try to fight back against it, our identity and our aesthetic or how we look like are so tied to each other. And I think that you ask anyone who's going through chronic illness or even terminal illness to consider those two things and you're rattled with so much stress and so much anxiety and so much fear that the one thing you want when you look into the mirror is to see yourself and to see the person that you've always been. And I think that makes so much sense. I know for a lot of us, we're not going through things like that, but I think that psychology is still at play. Like these terrible things are happening to me, but I am still me. I still look like me. I still have control at a time when the world is trying to pull a rug from underneath me. Yeah, absolutely. I And obviously I'm not comparing myself to Trish at all because no. that is so different. But I wonder as well if that in this time of stress, I haven't been sleeping well, I've been looking really fatigued and so much of it for me is wanting to look awake and look healthy when yeah. I don't feel like it on the inside. It's almost like seeing that in the mirror is like a circuit breaker. That if I look in the mirror and I feel tired and I look tired, then it's just a perpetuating cycle. But if I feel tired then I look in the mirror and I don't look it it's the circuit breaker I can stop it right there and then I do want to bring a celebrity into this era because there was a huge movement in 2016 that Alicia Keys start which was hashtag no makeup Alicia Keys began all this when she wrote an essay for Lenny Letter it was the publication owned by Lena Dunham it's now defunct but she wrote time to uncover and in it she basically told the world she was giving up makeup for good she wrote I hope to god it's a revolution because I don't want to cover up anymore not my face not my mind not my soul, not my thoughts, not my dreams, not my struggles, not my emotional growth, nothing. And she said, I'm not going to wear makeup. She went on television. She went on red carpets with a completely fresh face. Lots of people were in awe of this and some people were really fucking angry. What I find interesting is that I thought that she was still doing the no makeup thing and she was so strong about it at the time and I thought it was incredible, of course, because it's her choice. But in the four years, she's softened and she's now back to wearing makeup. And I think this says a lot about how women feel about beauty. She did an interview lately wearing makeup and she said, I'm not a slave to makeup, but I'm also not a slave to not wearing it either. I get to choose at any given moment. That's my right. I think makeup can be self-expression. 
I have no intention to shame anyone at all, ever. No one should be ashamed by the way they choose to express themselves. And that's exactly the point. However, if you want to wear makeup for yourself, you should do it. I find that really interesting because I wasn't aware that she was wearing it again either. And I kind of love that she feels safe enough to let her opinions evolve publicly because I think we can be so quick to be like, but you thought one way and now you think another, so everything is just void. But I agree with her. I think that nobody should be shamed. Like if people want to come out in the original hardline Alicia Keys way and be like, I don't want to wear it and I'm not going to, then they absolutely should be able to do that in the same way that people should be able to say, this brings me some kind of joy at the moment and some kind of comfort and I'm going to stick to that routine. Even when I'm in my apartment and no one's going to fucking see me anyway. (laughs) when I'm rolling around in my pyjamas. Don't! <laughs> oh, no, I knew that was going to come. I think that's all we've got time for today. I think it is. Guys, again, thank you for just all your positivity and for the vibes that you are bringing in our Facebook group and on our social channels. We are with you and we are thinking of all of you. Please look out for yourselves. Look out for each other. Listen to the experts. We are not the experts, but we will happily point you in the direction of those who are the ABC Corona cast. It will be at the top of your podcast feed, whatever app you listen on right now. I'm sure it's so popular. It is popular for a reason. They do 10 minute daily episodes answering the big questions about the virus that shall not be named. And I think it is such a good resource. Keep in mind that when we say you do not need to be across every headline and every breaking story, we stand by that. I 100% stand by that. I think you need to be informed without being obsessive, particularly those with anxiety disorders. Corona cast is perfect for you if you just want to spend 10 minutes a day getting across the health information that you need to be across please listen to that podcast be mindful with what you're consuming and take care of yourselves and each other yeah and corona cast is perfect for you if that is the case as mish said guys please do look after yourselves listen to the experts please please listen to the experts and as much as you humanly can Please, please, please do everything you can to stay inside and protect yourself and the people around you in the coming weeks. Being a homebody right now is the best thing you can possibly do for our world. We know a lot of you have been talking about supporting small businesses and we are forever indebted to all of you who are subscribed to our podcast. It is the absolute best way to support Shameless and Zara and I and of course Annabelle who edits the show. So if you are not subscribed but you are listening, please go into the app you're on if you're on apple Podcasts, there'll be a big purple subscribe button if you're on spotify there will be a follow button just click that that's literally all you need to do if you also have time leave a review but we're not going to ask too much of you we are so appreciative of you listening and we are so grateful for you and we hope you all get through this week okay and we'll be back in your ears on thursday we will be back in your ears on thursday we've got a wonderful in conversation to share that we are so excited to do so so we'll be back here on thursday as always bye guys bye Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.